Here's what I learned working at a warehouse. Warning. I open up about drugs, firearms, misogyny, rodents, crime, shame, homelessness, and sweaty strap hangers. On LinkedIn, I'm running a poll that asks whether folks' first job experience was positive or negative. The poll is open until around Thursday, April 7th. If nothing else, read in the comments voters' descriptions of their first ever job. Once you've read about others, you may wonder about the job experience of the pollster. My first job has a story, but I'm going to skip it and tell you about my second job, which has a better story. I graduated high school early and got a job at a warehouse. Though the place is long gone, let's just call it Widget Contractor Supplies Warehouse. Each weekday, I took the subway from Brooklyn, where I lived with my parents, to 34th Street in Manhattan. A one-hour commute each way on a good day. Strap hanging in a crowded train that often sweltered because the air conditioners were broken and the windows didn't open. When I got off the train, I had a 20-minute walk to the warehouse, which sat on the perimeter of the neighborhood called Hell's Kitchen. This was before either Brooklyn or Hell's Kitchen were the hipster havens they are now. The size and setting of the place were like the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin, but darker and dirtier. Before clocking in, we warehouse guys gathered under a fluorescent fixture in the dusty basement, the truck drivers in a semicircle drinking orange juice laced with vodka. The topics of conversation were either sports or what we now call locker room talk. After getting sufficiently buzzed, everyone punched the clock and the drivers headed out to make deliveries. The rest of us got busy unloading shipments or picking orders from the shelves and packing them up. At noon, we clocked out for lunch, and most of the older guys sat on crates in front of the warehouse talking about horse racing and making rude comments to women who walked past. Horse racing was a big thing with this crew. One of the sales guys, in fact, ran a bookie operation out of his office. The younger guys would sometimes cram into a closet in the most remote corner of the basement and smoke weed telling tall tales about the giant rat that supposedly nested back there. Once, I went to a deli with a couple of the guys, and as we walked around the block, scarfing down our roast beef heroes, that is, sub-sandwiches, in our dirty white t-shirts, my co-workers, Vince and Larry, swore me to secrecy and proceeded making plans to move a bunch of the widgets to the basement steps that led up to the cellar door, so they could come back at night and easily steal them, then sell them to widget stores around the city. After briefly weighing pros and cons, they agreed not to bring guns for the theft. When our sales guys sold stuff we didn't have, I'd get sent over to the competitor's warehouse across the street. Those guys were the only ones who could find ways to treat me even worse than my own employer calling me names, yelling at me, 
or leaving en masse for lunch when they saw me coming. An elderly homeless guy, little Louie, worked in our warehouse, packing small outgoing items. He smelled so bad it was hard to be near him, but he was gentle-hearted. He talked to himself incessantly, and the other guys got on him about it. If you don't shut up, Louie, I'm gonna... It was teasing more than it was a genuine threat. Louis once disappeared for a couple of weeks, and Vince had to take over his job. He was packing up a can of contractor hand soap, the kind a construction worker or plumber might use, and he made a big show of carefully prying off the lid, vertically jamming a pen into the container until it was submerged in the creamy soap and replacing the lid. The idea was that a customer would open the can and stick his hand in and, I don't know, impale it on the pen? The owner, old Joe, worked upstairs in an air-conditioned office with a couple of women. He had to be at least 80 years old and was right out of a Dickens story. He mostly grumbled and snarled, never a kind word or smile for anyone, and had a reputation for being stingy. Little Louie and old Joe, the homeless fellow and the wealthy owner, had something in common. They both used rope instead of a belt to keep their pants up. Everything I'm telling you, except the identity of the company and industry, is true. Eventually, old Joe needed another worker in the office to process invoices. I suspect he thought I'd be good at it because I was college-bound and wore glasses. Of course, the guys teased me about moving upstairs to the office, but not too seriously. Despite there being a diversity of races, nationalities, and life circumstances in the warehouse, there was esprit de corps that even getting kicked upstairs couldn't undermine. After a couple of days of me adding up numbers and filling out forms, Old Joe figured out that my work was riddled with errors. I was ashamed, but couldn't get on track. The work was too boring for me. I couldn't stay focused. I got kicked back downstairs. Best demotion ever. To this day, I'd rather unload trucks than do tedious desk work. Do I think this job experience was positive or negative? Believe it or not, I'll vote positive, but not because I learned the value of a dollar or because I learned to appreciate completing a hard day's work, and certainly not because I found meaning or purpose in the work. None of these occurred. One thing I learned from this job and the many warehouse, retail, and food service jobs I had thereafter is to refrain from assuming that most people's work lives are anything like mine and yours. Workers like Little Louie and Old Joe, the bookie, the thieves, the office underlings, the truck drivers, we are among them. Not the people I worked with specifically, but others with their own challenges. In our working world, we also are among the women getting harassed on the street, the legions of exhausted commuters, the transportation workers taking flack from those commuters when they can't stick to schedules they don't control, tradespeople suffering injury or indignity, whether it's being stabbed by a pen in their soap 
or something worse, and the gamblers sacrificing their paychecks to dreams of easy street. New young workforce members are also still there testing the work world in the same way they've been testing limits since infancy. When I think about employee well-being, my mind turns to those workers. And make no mistake, I found that like members of the workforce at every level, they work hard, pursue excellence, and act with the utmost integrity. That's what most of them do. Sure, I care about office workers too. Working in a corporate desk job, whether it's in an office or work from home, takes its toll. But many of us, not all, at desks have access to resources and the possibility of a better future. Well-being advocates don't often talk about those whose employment and or non-work life is so bleak, they sometimes turn to things like bookmaking, thievery, company sabotage, and drugs. We act as if the work world's biggest problems are five-day work weeks, having to be present at the office, being scheduled for too many meetings, or insufficient empathy training for leaders. We needn't focus employee well-being efforts on criminals, substance misusers, misogynists, or even unhoused workers, nor should we focus on the most privileged employees. There's a likely majority of people in between, upstanding citizens, including those working in healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, agriculture, food service, retail, mining. Maybe, for starters, we could ignore them a little bit less? My early job was positive because it allowed me to experience, to a small extent, a work world that otherwise would have only been something I'd read about or observed from the outside. It's a lesson I've aspired to keep in the forefront of my mind throughout my career as an employee wellness professional. 